Uh, the Bible reading is taken from Genesis 21 to 18. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offence against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Last week, we learned that Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89 when he ratified the covenant with God by carrying out the circumcision God had commanded. God promised that within the next year, he would have his first son with his wife Sarah. In this morning's passage, we see Abraham left Canaan for an unspecified reason. Wonder soured near Kadesh and Shur, and then traveled to Gira. At Gira, Abraham repeated a sin committed very early in his life as follower of God in chapter 12. Once again, he passed off his wife Sarah as his sister, which resulted in her being taken into harem of Abimelech, king of Gira. 
Now, apparently, kings of that day had developed a certain reputation. If a woman was attractive to them, the king would take them into their harem. And if that woman happened to be married, she won't remain married for long. Her husband would die, and then she would be taken into the king's harem. This kingly situation was a well-known fact. So Abraham told his wife, Sarah, to say that she was his sister, which was technically true. She was his half-sister. Sure enough, Abimelech liked how Sarah looked and took her as his wife. The situation here is more critical than in chapter 12. First, God has clearly revealed to Abraham and Sarah that together they will bear a son through whom the covenant promises will be realized. More than this, the conception of the child must have been near at hand, for he was said to be born within a space of a year, according to chapter 17, verse 21, and chapter 18, verse 10. So, Abraham again puts the promise in jeopardy, right near the finish line of waiting on God's promise of a child. After taking Sarah into the house, God appears to Abimelech in a dream, threatening to kill him and his entire nation if Sarah is not returned to Abraham. Abimelech, a pagan king, asked God to judge with justice and not destroy the innocent. God acknowledges Abimelech's innocence and then let him know that he himself restrained Abimelech from sleeping with her. Verse 6, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. The I did not let you touch her statement is important. If Sarah had stayed even one night with Abimelech, there would always be the question of whether Abraham was Isaac's biological father. With it being so close to Isaac's birth, which is in chapter 21, the next chapter, verses 1 to 3, God's command assures us that he is, as promised, the son of Sarah and Abraham. Abimelech was in this situation on account of the foolish acts of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah's sins not only jeopardized the plan of God through Abraham, but it also would bring disastrous consequences upon those who were brought into the situation in honest ignorance of Abimelech. But more importantly than the fact that Abimelech did not have sexual relations with Sarah is the fact that the faithful 
actions of God's providence intervene in the situation. Early the next morning, Abimelech takes immediate action, informing his servants of what God had told him and bringing Abraham before him. It's clear that Abraham was not only thinking about himself, not about the ways he had sinned against Sarah, or put Abimelech and his whole kingdom in danger, in verse 9. And when confronted, he made excuses. He blames his action on his circumstances. He uses half-truths and like Adam before him. He even blames God for what's happened. In regards to circumstances, as we see in verse 11, his word implies that I would, wouldn't have lied if I hadn't been afraid of you. You don't fear God like I do. I felt like I had to tell, lie to you. In verse 12, he tries to justify the half-truths, but it is a lie. And it could have cost these men their lives. But Abraham is more worried about himself, and so he blames everyone else, but not him. In verse 13, he blames God as the one who caused him to wonder. If God hadn't brought me out here, to this strange land away from my family, then I wouldn't have had to rely. So in a sense, he takes the very blessing of God and uses it to justify his doubt and sin. Verse 14, Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah his wife to him. The gifts Abimelech gave to Abraham aren't rewards, obviously. They are more of a compensation to make sure there's no indebtedness. It's a way for the king to keep his integrity. Look at verse 16. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Abimelech gave Sarah back, plus what would have been owned in the dowry, so that no one can say anything bad about Sarah or himself. And as instructed by God in the dream in verse 7, Abraham prays for Abimelech and his kingdom of Kira in verses 17 and 18. Despite another moral failure from Abraham, God intervenes to protect the promise made to him and Sarah and uses Abraham to be a blessing to others. It's also interesting to see what Abraham prays for. While we don't know how much time has passed between the beginning and the end of this chapter, it's been at least long enough for Gira to notice that its women 
could not no longer become pregnant. In verse 18. And so the chapter ends on a note of irony. Abraham praying for God to remove the barrenness of Gira's women, which invites us as reader to ask, when will God do this for Sarah? What a humbling experience it must have been for Abraham to intercede on behalf of Abimelech. A deep sense of unworthiness must have, or at least should have, come over him. It was surely not his righteousness which was the basis of divine healing, while this was a tragic time in the life of God's chosen, it was necessary, for it prepared the way for the following chapter in which the promised child is given. God's promise to Abraham was kept because God is faithful, not because Abraham was faithful. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Such was the case with Isaac. When Abraham prayed, the wombs of Abimelech's household were opened so that they bore children once again. So Sarah's womb was to be opened as well. The promised son was soon to be born. Abraham learned a lot in this lesson because from there on, he's a changed man. In just a few short years, he will be asked to put his son on the altar. And he won't hesitate to do it because he knows that God gives life and that he can resurrect the dead. His fear of death is overcome. He is a good example to the rest of us because he was just as weak and doubtful as us. But God kept working in him. Let's look at a few of the lessons we can learn through his life. First, God's grace. Genesis 10.20 gives us an awesome display of God's most wonderful grace. We see God's grace at work in both Abimelech and Abraham. First, we see God's grace evident in the life of Abimelech, a pagan king. We notice that God made Abimelech aware of who Sarah really was by means of a revelation, a dream. We see here that God's people do not have a monopoly by revelation from God. God, out of, out of grace, does reveal himself to pagans too. Abimelech, because he took Sarah, was under the judgment of God. He and his household were afflicted with some kind of disease that closed up every womb so that they were not able to have children. Out of grace, God healed Abimelech, his wife, 
and his slave girls so that they could have children again. In other words, in, in withdrawing his punishment, God was showing that Abimelech was forgiven from the sins of taking Sarah. We lie under the judgment of God too. And as with Abimelech, God withdraws from the, un, the, the punishment we so richly reserve, uh, deserve. In our next, in our text today, we see God's grace not only in the life of Abimelech, but also and especially in the life of Abraham. In spite of Abraham's godless examples and continued sin, we see that God does not reject him. Abraham might have let go of God, but God, out of grace, does not let go of Abraham. Here is the assurance and the comfort that God does not reject us either. When we fail and fall, as we all do from day to day, rather, he keeps a hold of us out of grace. Not only does God not reject Abraham, but he continues to have a use for him as his servant, as his friend, as his covenant partner. The passage speaks of Abraham. That is what God, uh, what God calls Abraham, a prophet. Abraham's role is to provide intercessory prayer as a prophet. And that is exactly what Abraham does. As God's covenant partner, Abraham prays that barren Philistine women be able to conceive, and God does open their wombs. God also has use of us as his covenant partner, despite our many failings. We are called to intercessory prayer like Abraham. We are also called to be prophets like Abraham, out of grace. We are also called to represent God before men like Abraham. We see here that God will accomplish salvation in spite of the sins and failings of his people. And we can be confident that he, out of grace, will also bring to completion the great work he has begun in us. I'm always encouraged when I read Genesis 20 because I see in Abraham a person just like you and me, a fallen example, a repeated sinner, but still a recipient of God's grace and a tool in God's kingdom. Second, God's faithfulness. Had it not been for the faithful actions of the Lord, Abimelech would have slept with Sarah. Yes, in ignorance, Abimelech acted, but God's intervention kept him from truly sinning against God. 
Have you ever thought about God's faithfulness in terms of how much sins He keeps you from? Think about how many times, noticed or unnoticed, in your life God faithfully intervened in a situation to keep you from sinning against Him. Why would God intervene in the foolish acts of his people in Genesis chapter 20. He intervenes because he had a promise to keep. The Lord promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child and from him would come kings of the, and nations. But more importantly, from him would come that the king of kings and the lord of lords. This promise was not dependent upon man, but upon God himself. The, faithful, uh, the fulfillment of God's plan is not dependent upon man's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness. Therefore, though Abraham and Sarah were unfaithful, God would remain faithful to his character, his promise, and his reputation by faithfully intervening the foolish actions of his people's life. It is encouraging to know that God is still faithful to his covenant even when we give in to foolish actions and sin against him. It is encouraging to know that our Lord will always remain faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful. We see this in God's faithfulness intervention in his, this narrative. But even more encouraging in the text than the faithful actions of God is the forgiving attitude of God's personality displayed. Third, our testimony. Here is a reminder that the people of God are being watched and need to hold a higher standard than the world. We need to be an example and never give men or women of the world any reason to accuse us or complain against us. What is our influence on unbelievers? Abraham had an opportunity to have an impact on the life of those he met. It was his calling, remember, to be a blessing to those around him. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, instead he lied and acted in self-protecting way. Abraham damaged his testimony by acting this way. Abraham promised Compromise, sorry. Abraham compromised his ability to be God's witness in Gira. Brother and sisters, we must always be conscious of the fact that we carry the name of Christ. Wherever we go, in every action we undertake, and in every word we speak. We dishonor that name whenever we give the world a just reason for admonish us for our behavior. You can make it easier for someone 
to live out their faith, or you can make it harder. You can pass on to them an attitude of expectation and faith, or an attitude of unbelief. Which of these describes you? Within the family circle, are you the one who guides others towards God? Are you a positive influence on your friends? Or do you just go with the flow to get along? Are you a spiritual leader or muse stone within the church? We have responsibilities as friends, spouses, parents, and church members to see that our presence brings people closer to God and does not lead them away from God. Lastly, failure. Peerage position does not preclude failures. Abraham was God's elect, God's chosen, but he still frowned and failed. Abraham was God's prophet, but that did not make him more pious than others. Abraham prospered both in Egypt and in Gira, but it was not because he attained a higher level of spirituality. The most dangerous doctrine for the Christian is that which suggests that Christian can be above temptation and failures in their Christian lives, even after years of service or in a privileged position. Friends, we must never let down our God. Maybe now, may we never come to think that we have arrived at a place where we cannot sin or where we are free from the temptation to commit a particular sin. As sure as you let down your guard, you are hated for trouble. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. As long as you live in this flesh, you will never be safe. Amen. May God bless you.